0: Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than four girls in double denim. So love you. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. And as you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. Yeah, I've got a stinking cold uh, from the daughter, who seems to have a cold pretty much all the time since she's gone to nursery but this one seems to be quite bad uh, as we go into the winter so yes I am suffering a little bit myself but I'm a trooper and uh, I wasn't suffering too much during the main bit of this show so I don't sound like a fog for most of the the show that you're about to listen to just in this intro and I sounded much better on the last show that we did which was an 11, a great show as well uh, thanks to the guys Joel Young and Sid Lambert as we delved into the underrated players ...of the 1990s, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, quite funny that um, the three of us... ...that we didn't confer beforehand... Um, ...didn't... We'll ...it was a brief chat, I think, as John mentioned on the show... ...he did say he was going to pick Robbie Musto... ...but apart from that, we didn't know each other's teams... ...or any of the players we were picking... ...yet, out of all the players, out of the ten years... ...that we could have chosen from... ...we did choose two or three of uh, the same in our teams as well... ...Shaka Hislop, uh, Henning Berg, uh, Clive Wilson and Steve Stone each got in at least two teams out of the three so very interesting that we were all on the same level on that one thank you to everyone who tweeted their teams at us as well it's always interesting as I said on last time's show that um it's subjective isn't it it's how you see these players um and how rated you believe they were so it does depend on your viewpoint and slight biasism as I said I did Roy Wiggley in my team and I think you know I do think it fit the bill, but as you, many of you know on this podcast, I do love Roy Wiggly, So yes, complete biasism there. Joel has put forward that we do an overrated 11, which could be quite interesting and could possibly offend a few players of that era. Um, let us know on Twitter at AK90s if you would like us to do an overrated 11 or any other 11 indeed of the 90s. Um, that is our third one. Well, we did team of the decade way back, go in the archives and listen to that, but these sort of themed 11s we've now done a uh, sort of potential 11 we did with Sid where we picked players that we thought would go on to be big stars and quite never made it um, just in time for his book as well get that on Christmas list cashing in And uh, then we did tournament teams one of really, that was a really interesting one with Joel where we picked a, two players from each tournament in the 90s and a bonus one which is really difficult when you think about it so another to go back and listen to in the archive as well as last week's show where we did most underrated Today though, yes, we are talking stickers. Yes, we are talking collectibles and stickers and I know long time listeners, you're going to be going, hang on, you've done this already. We have, I admit, we did a show very, very, very early on, probably our second or third episode actually where we talked about stickers and stuff but it was more of a gloss over. Um, It was back in the days where the shows weren't as long. Uh, We didn't delve into as much detail as we could do and will do on today's show. And it's uh, quite timely, is one of the reasons as well, which you'll find out on today's show. Uh, We've got Greg Lansdowne back on the line, who is the sticker oracle, I suppose you could call him. Author of the great book called Stuck On You, another to stick on your Christmas list. But exciting times with him and reason why we're kind of doing this week's theme on stickers. He's got a documentary coming out uh, next week on itv Four. Uh, about sticker collecting which is sort of involved his book and a, a whole host of big names and stuff so he'll tell us more about that show so in preparation we thought we'd do a sneak peek uh, of that and whet your appetite uh, for more sticker loving We've also got Joel young back as well he's going to chip in with his memories as well as mine actually i was a massive collectible guy that won't surprise you at all uh back in the 90s anything that had a football on it i collected so yes the merlin albums obviously i completed the first three any of the Panini early ones, uh, Pro Set, Pro Match, uh, some of the England special collections they did around the '98 World Cup, both for these stickers and the cards. Uh, shooting star, stars from uh, Panini, I think it was called. Uh, what else was there? The uh, the Merlin Stadium cars, the Merlin Gold ones. There was loads. Nineteen ninety eight, as I say on the show, felt like when it exploded, but throughout the decade, and it's a really interesting decade in terms of what happened in the collectible world. But uh, yeah, I collected everything, including something called football magic, which I'm yet to find a single other person in this very world who had collected it as well. So dunno how it did say did well it did kind of fade into obscurity after about sort of the second part came out but this was like a mini binder not like the big binders you got with pro set and with the orbis collection this was kind of a mini version but again you collected it week by week right at the end of the decade stretching into the 2000 actually it's in the book as well but if you remember football magic tweet me at UK or at ak90s because i feel like i've said it on the show before and i don't think anyone still tweeted me and remembered what was a very obscure collection I'll talk more about that in just a second. There was a couple of you on Twitter who got involved as well um, on stickers. Uh, John Watson said, those were the days at event swapping stickers. Got got, need swaps. What a time to be alive. Hashtag Merlin stickers. It was a great time to be alive. Matt Jeffries. <laughs> Round of applause for Matt Jeffries. He tweeted at us. Uh, he did this a couple of years ago and he's got a uh, screen grab from a Facebook post he did uh, a couple of years ago. In 1996, I started a sticker book. Today, almost 20 years after starting it, I completed it. Never give up on your dreams, folks. Dare to dream. Well done, Matt. That was the 96 album, and it seemed that his last sticker was, uh, it looks like Alan Stubbs, yeah, a half of Alan Stubbs, and he completed his 1996 Merling album, which was the one with Redknapp, Janola, and Bambi on the front. Interesting that Redknapp and Bambi are in away kits, actually. You wouldn't uh, normally think that would happen, but yeah, they are great kits as well. Um, and there was a lot of chatter on Pro Set as well on our feed uh, when I put the the Twitter out. Great set, uh, Pro Set. I think it's really underrated. Retro Red at Retro Underscore Red nineteen eighty five was talking about it with uh, with our own Greg, and they were mentioning the um, the cards, both for the Pro Set ones and the Shooting Stars. The interesting fact that the Shooting Stars, some of them came sort of uh, landscape, which was very different at the time and quite annoying for The Binder. But we get into all that on today's show. We talk all the collections, all the big ones and some of the little ones as well with Greg and Joel. So stick around for that. We also got an interview with former Manchester City goalkeeper, Tony Cotin who talks about his days at Main Road and his new book, his autobiography. That is, uh, I think it's just come out. Yeah. So another book to stick on your Christmas list. If you want to read over Christmas, there's a lot of books that you should buy. Obviously the Alive and Kicking one, but I've mentioned a few already as well. Also wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, friend of the show who's coming on soon. I say it every time, but we have been chatting literally this week and uh, we're going to organise a time to come on so you can chat. Uh, Hallie Inc., the brilliant, brilliant Hallie Inc., who does those great kit illustrations that he's put into posters and mugs and badges and stuff. Um, he's doing one of the 1992-93 season, my favourite season, the first season of the Premier League. Uh, I put it on Twitter uh, yesterday. I think they're available from Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Um... This should be up by then, so hopefully you've got your hand on yours. He's also done some PTO figures from that very season as well. I'm going to try and get my hands on the QPR one if they don't sell out very quickly. But yeah, fantastic work again from Halley Inc. He's working on some USA 94 gear as well which will make me bankrupt this bankrupt this side of Christmas as well, which won't be good. But yeah, a lot of 90, USA 94 stuff he's working on, one of which will be given away on this podcast. So stay tuned for the next episode and you could win a World Cup 94 poster from Ali Inc. More information on that. The only other thing 90s wise I wanted to quickly mention uh, you've probably seen it this week the new kits that have been launched by Adidas uh, for the World Cup next season they released a plethora of shirts ahead of those finals from the teams that have qualified and you know what a few of them have got a 90s vibe to them which I'm very very happy about Um, I think my favourite would have to be the Spain kit Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it it kind of harks back to the, the mid 90s Spain kit which is odd because it's not the most successful time. in mean, the 90s weren't you know, the best time for Spain anyway. They're very much an underachieving team. Mainly thanks to England at Euro 96 when they should have won that game anyway. But it's it's not a kit that you'd think, oh yeah, we'll celebrate that. I think it's more from a design point of view. It's got that kind of blue and yellow sort of flecky thing that goes down the side of the shirt. Really good. And uh, and uh, I think the updated version, of Dunn, they've modernised it, but not too much. And I think it's a really, really... Nice shirts, a winner that one. As is the columbia shirt as well, which goes back to 1990 Valderrama and and all that lot. And it's got the the big sort of chunky things on the side of the shirt. They're a bit more modern take on it. They've got a it's, they're more pointy and they've got sort of stripes in them. But again, a bit of 90s vibe going on. There's also an 80s one, a sort of thing for Belgium, which is very nice. Um, but the one that seems to kind of maybe split. Uh, the the 90s fans I say it's kind of the Germany new Germany home kit which by all intents and purposes I should love it goes back to what is arguably one of the greatest shirts of all time whenever they do those polls it's not it doesn't quite make my top five but it is considered one of the best shirts of all time the Germany 1990 kit it goes back to then when they had the the, the flags so you had the three colors of the Germany flag spread across the front of the shirt and it kind of sort of jig jagged pattern and it's a it's an amazing shirt they won the world Cup in it but what adidas have done for 2018 although it's out now 2017-18 is they've kind of repeated that pattern but done it in black and white and i'm sorry i don't really like it i just think it's it's nice and almost there they haven't quite got it if these kind of modernized versions of the zigzags had been in colour I think yeah I think they would have nailed it bang on but for me it just doesn't quite work I haven't quite got it and it's a shame because uh I I know where they're going for and I know what they're trying to put the modern twist on it and overall I think the Adidas shirt so far have been amazing but yeah sorry I'm I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who do like it but for me it just missed a trick bit of colour and I'd have been sort of waxing lyrical and probably buying it Um, but no it saved my money and I'm sure Germany looked good in it and probably beat England on penalties in it but no for me they've just missed a trick with that kit well let's get on with today's show anyway and let's talk about stickers in the 90s really interesting subject some really good stuff from Greg there make sure you check out the documentary we'll uh, give it a plug on the show anyway a few times so you'll realise when and where you can watch it. Um, But let's get on with the show. I've been Ash Rose. You can follow me at Ash Rose UK on Twitter and on Instagram, but here's me chatting to Greg, Joel Young, and a brilliant interview with the Tony Coton on this week's Alive and Kicking. Right, let's get stuck in then because this is a special episode where we're looking back at stickers and collections from the 90s. We couldn't do this without the man, the myth, the oracle of sticker collecting. He is the author of a brilliant book. If you haven't got it, stick it on your Christmas list. It's called Stuck on You. And it's got a, he's got a documentary coming out, which we're going to talk about as well uh, next week. So we'll talk about that on this show. Uh, Greg Lansdowne, welcome back to Alive and Kicking. How are you doing?
1: Great. What, what an introduction that was. Well, that's, it's all true, mate. It's all true.
0: <laughs> all right, then. I won't argue. Yeah, good. Good to have you back on. And uh, the, the foil in between us, adding the uh, the colour, the comedy, and his 90s knowledge, of course.
2: He is my friend in yours, Joe Young. How you doing, Joe? I'm very well, thank you, Ash. Uh, I'm good, I'm good. You know, we, I don't want to date the podcast at all, but... Uh Eating Sunderland on Sunday was quite tasty, and things are suddenly a lot brighter in our garden. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I did
0: see that result and, and, and think of you, of course. Yeah, we are dating this life. If we're going to date it, we should wish John Barnes a happy birthday, which is his birthday today. So, you know, hold it in as a master plan and all that. So, yeah, Lucas, I well got hold
2: and give to it at the right time. Think, yeah, exactly,
0: him. exactly. He's an England man after all. Mm. Um,
2: yeah, we're looking at the master plan. We are
0: looking at the world. If you don't know the words to this, you, you shouldn't. You, everyone should know the words to that. It's like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Anyway, we're going to talk Stiggers in a second. Um, I'm going to drop something on Greg that I forgot to ask him, so hopefully he's just uh, he remembered, because it's your third time on, Greg. Um, we usually do favourite goals um, of the 90s. I know you're an Arsenal fan, people may remember. Have you a favourite Arsenal goal of the 90s?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I, that would... Well, there's obviously so many, but uh, even though people thought they didn't score many goals, but uh, I think of of them let's let's go for the Tony Adams goal against Everton but they'd obviously already won the game but uh, to, for him to uh, put the icing on the top of the cake was uh, was a great moment for all Arsenal fans was it the Steve Bold ball wasn't it as well it was the passing yes, Steve was. Bold.
0: yeah amazing Arsenal winger at his best and if you were talking outside of uh, Arsenal if you got a goal from the 90s that you remember the most and you can say Trevor Sinclair it's fine
1: I could do, but I would. I will go for Matt Letizia, uh, One of his goals against uh, Newcastle, wasn't it, where he where he flicked the ball over half yes. the half the team and then just side so footed it into the back of the net. you, yeah. you don't see that, especially, especially at that time, where there weren't that many overseas players in the Premier League. You didn't didn't see goals like that too often.
2: No, you didn't know,
0: Joe. What's your favourite Matt Letizia goal?
2: Uh, There's one against Blackburn, isn't there, where he yeah. didn't get goal of the season yeah. in 1994. I think he fired it past Tim Flowers and he, he sort of said it always made him a lot more satisfied because he felt that, uh, you know, in a comedy way that Flowers had abandoned him at <laughs> Southampton <laughs> to go to Blackburn. So, uh, yeah, I think he's like a rocket, isn't it, from... Yeah. He sort of skips it past about four players and fires it in past Flowers. I think he got goal of the season in maybe 94, 95, or 93, yeah. 94. can't yeah. quite remember. You sprung that on me there. But I know, yeah, sorry. I just bad. thought
0: I'd ask you. I think that's he calls that his favourite, actually. I always remember a free kick he scored. It was at the Dell. I can't remember who it was against, but that's, somebody flicked it up and he hit it on the volley, which I love because you don't, you don't see that very often. It's a very unique free kick uh, way to do it. So we're not talking Matt Leticia, although we are talking stickers. And it's a very exciting time, as I mentioned at the top of the show there, for Greg. Now, we know you... We've done a, a pod very many moons back on stickers before we kind of glossed over it. Um, we talked about your forthcoming book at the time. It's now been released. It's brilliant, as I've said many times on this show. But that has now led to this documentary. So before we talk about kind of the collections in the 90s and go through a few of them, tell us how this documentary come about and when we can see it and what, what will be part of it.
1: Well, it came about because I don't know whether uh, either of you watched the the documentary about Admiral Shirts yeah. last year called Get Shirty. Uh, I did watch that. Yeah, that was me too, very good. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's made by the, by the same production company, um, Ten Monkeys and, and Foss Films. So I, I watched that documentary and I thought, well, we all have a bit of nostalgia. As as, as good as this documentary is, I, I I think there needs to be a documentary on football stickers. So I, I got in touch with them and uh, it's just seemed to everything seemed to come together. They said that they were considering it. Uh, I I pointed them in the direction of my book. They read that and they thought, well, yes, that there, there is a great story in uh, in from the world of football stickers. That there, there are so many different strands. Uh, during during my research, or, although I was probably going to lean more towards the the 80s because that that was more of my era, uh, as it turns out, the the 90s are, are actually probably more more of an interesting era because of because of how Merlin came came mm. about and uh, and how they went on to dominate that that decade. I wish so, my
2: television career had been this easy and <laughs>
1: <laughs> successful.
2: But you just go, oh yes, I just wrote to somebody and they just gave me. Actually, that is a lot of it.
1: <laughs> well, well that's, the, that's what it's all about hitting hitting the zeitgeist or, or, albeit I've hit it 30 years late <laughs>
0: yeah but it's very much in isn't it it's a nostalgia thing like you said the, the kit thing obviously led to it it's a great documentary I think John Devlin was involved in that actually who, yes, he was, yeah. who's been on the show before so yeah I mean obviously we're focusing on the 90s and we'll get into that in just a second so this
1: documentary is on is it next Tuesday Greg? yeah it's going to be on itv 4 10:15, uh, November the 14th, just after the England Brazil game, and uh, just just before I spoke to you, it seemed like another 20 England players had, uh, had dropped out. So I, I assume that that game will will still go on d- despite there being no one interested in playing.
0: I know it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, I think I might get a call up soon. But no, that would never happen. Are you? Is It's quite big names as well involved in the documentary with Talking Heads and stuff. I believe. Who've you got on the show? Give us a sneak uh, pre- preview of who will be talking.
1: The the biggest name, apart from myself, obviously, will will probably be Ryan Giggs. There you go. That's You don't get much
0: bigger than Premier League era than that, do you? On the cover of the first Merling one, of course. Which he we'll was. He was. In a second, Um Joe. I mean, as you mentioned, we're both nostalgia fans. This is right up our street, isn't it? It's so surely a documentary everyone would want to watch.
2: Oh, certainly. I think I'll be going to, going to watch that. And I think I think the way it is, it seems to be now. Uh, and you can both tell me whether I'm wrong on this, but it just seems to be that it seems to be more of a grown-up pursuit rather than a child pursuit now you know whereas i think everybody who's sort of grown up with it in the 80s in the 90s you know i've got friends who happily go and bung 25 quid behind the counter of their shop so they can go and get you know 50 packets of stickers or whatever so i, I you know is it still a thing that kids are into
1: or is no, it it's exactly that now in in terms of stickers for the For the cards, match attacks is uh, very much a, a child pursuit. but in in terms of the stickers, the reason why the the last World cup album was the best seller ever was because it was uh, people like like me and uh, slightly younger people such such as yourself who are, who are now able to buy boxes of stickers rather than relying on their on their parents and and it, it was quite the phenomenon and, and i'm sure it's going to be the same in uh, in 2018
0: they've got the england license as well this year panini i believe haven't they greg
1: yeah they they had it for euro 2016 which was the first time that they'd had it for a uh a, a, a major tournament album since the since the 90s since, since the early 90s Hmm. so yeah it will
0: be a big collection I was collecting it and I think you're right Joe I think stickers has become more of something in the you know people in their 30s and 40s going, who look back on it. It's people there was someone on our Twitter feed actually when we mentioned uh, we were doing a show on this who had uh, finally completed his Merlin 96 album uh, <laughs> after years he found he'd tracked down I think it was Saul Campbell um, one of the half stickers that he'd finally tracked down at eBay completed it so he was very pleased with that but I think that is it's becoming a nostalgia thing whereas Greg mentions as, you know, as editor of a kid's football magazine, I know that match attacks are like gold dust. They are the thing. They're, they're cards. They're not just uh, collectibles. They're a game as well. There's a different element to it now. So Panini are really trying. They got they're releasing sticker albums sort of every few months at the moment, in, as well as the official one uh, next year. So they're really trying to push the stickers. And, and Merlin still do the album as well, but it's very much match attacks in this modern era. But that's Keep It 90s as we do on here. Um, let's start with Panini, Greg, because... I think when we when people of our era mention stickers, it is the first name they sort of talk about because even though Merlin took over in the nineties, Panini is kind of seen as that heartback and where the, the sort of era began, those early football ninety and ninety one albums. So where were we in the sort of the early nineties with with Panini?
1: Uh in, in terms of the collectibles market in general, we were in a bit of a state really because um uh, not not helped by Robert Maxwell taking over panini in the in the late 80s so so by by the time we we entered the next decade there were so many different collections and um people weren't sure which was which was the official one and and in actual fact that they 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 became much of a muchness so although obviously you, you had the panini album which followed on from all their albums in in the 80s by the time they got to the 90s would they that they, you can't even compare to what, what they were doing previously? They ended up bringing out two different packets for Football '91. They got rid of the the shinies the, the in '92. That They brought out English and Scottish versions, and you just didn't know where you were anymore. And then How there would was shinies. Merle-
2: what it, it, that's just, I mean, that's the thing that would cause fights in the playground. Yeah. It's certainly our school, is you know, if you had a A Middlesbrough or a Man United or a Liverpool—that just
1: seems absolute lunacy. Was that a money thing, or was that a... What was that? Well, you—you could say that, but—but then they did have shinies in the Scottish version in '92. So, so work work that one out. The the, English—the English album had less than 300 stickers, and and obviously the the Scottish was even less than that. So, it wasn't even much of an album to collect. So. As you can see, they they really had lost their way by then, which is, which is probably one of the reasons why they ended up not getting the Premier League contract. Mm,
0: I like the way you included Middlesbrough with Man United and Liverpool there, Joe. I know
2: it's not that. But, uh, no, that. but at my school, <laughs> at my school, it would have been that. Of though, course, you know yeah. what I mean. Like I'm not suggesting anywhere outside Teaside that would have been the case. But certainly, our place. If you got a Borussia shiny, then that was probably the more sought after sticker. You know.
0: Yeah, oh, in my school, it is worth two stickers. If you're swapping around in the playground and you want a sh- and you need a shiny, that's worth two normal stickers. That used to be the rule in in my play playground um how popular were these panini albums great because i mean i remember them it was very early on in my talk sort of sticker collecting i remember grabbing one at a friend's house once not knowing what it was and being very excited about it because i i don't think they were as kind of around as much as we'll talk about merlin were in the later decade were they a popular collection these sort of early 90s panini stick collections
1: no not not at all and and not not helped by the fact that there were so many rivals around in for for much for a lot of the 80s, they had a clear playing field. But, but by the start of the 90s, Merlin had just come into being. So they, they brought out their first uh, domestic album, Team 90, which was a bit of a disaster. That There was also The Sun, which, which brought out a a sticker album in 1989, 1990, 1991, which was similarly dreadful. And and also, queer in the pitch were the were the card collections. There there had barely been a card collection in the eighties, and then you get to nineteen ninety one, and ProSet came in, and that was massive. And they actually sold more than 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 any sticker collection in nineteen ninety one. But by the following year, Panini and Shooting Stars also brought, which was which was um, the cars were produced by by Merlin in terms of Shooting Stars. So there there were then three card sets so that that cannibalized the card market so by the time you get to 93 we were just back to one sticker album again and and nobody was interested in football 93 at all that that was panini's last domestic album
0: it's crazy to think that there were three different card collections out at one point. I mean, I, I don't know how that works with licenses and how they work it out through popularity, because at the moment, Match Attacks in, in the modern era, as we mentioned, is sort of monopolises the, the collectible market. And back then, I mean, you mentioned Pro Set. For me, that's a, that's such a nostalgic feeling, because I remember that huge binder, the to order, the leather-bound binder, which is beautiful, and the cards where you had the different ones for different divisions as well, which is really different. I don't think the other... Sh- um, collections did that especially the shooting stars one i mean pro set are a bit of anomaly aren't they really
1: yeah i'm, I'm actually doing some research and writing an article on them at the moment because they're, they're a very interesting company they, they they started out in the late 80s in in america and in, incredibly there had never been an official card set for the nfl so they they took the license for that the the there were only 10% of card sales in uh, in the US in the late 80s were uh, were American football. It was it was mainly baseball. So they they really started the popularity in uh, American football. They then decided, well, let's let's expand. Let's go into the the UK, which they did. They did very well. They got uh, they got a deal to promote it via shoot. The, uh, the the player agent John Smith was was instrumental in in this but unfortunately they tried to expand too quickly and by by about 93 94 they didn't exist at all they had gone into liquidation
0: mm, it's a very short time. i mean joe you mentioned your playground stickers was cards a thing do you remember cards being a thing in your playground
2: i remember what were the ones that came out later on that were like caricatures oh uh, pro match. yeah well yeah is that what is that, is that those no they were slightly yeah, later remember, pro set which is normal those, cards it's sort of do you know the scene in Big? Right, I'm sort of yeah. slightly going off tangent, but I'm not. Okay. And hey, there's the bit where 80s. Tom Hanks. So, well, it's eighties, yeah. yeah. But Tom Hanks designs the toy, and they say it's a robot that turns into a rock, and it's like, what's the fun about playing with a rock? But well, I sort of got a similar thing with with that in in the terms of the cards. It's like, what's the fun in a pile of cards? You're mm. not going to do anything with them. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I would just you would just find like. Uh, piles of cards wrapped up in a million elastic bands yeah. round your friend's house it's like <laughs> yeah, just yeah. discarded where at least the sticker book turns into something and it's and it's the thrill of sort of filling up the empty spaces and, and all that business cards i never really wasn't a big deal where i i was unless they were garbage pill cards which is a completely different oh one. i remember those yeah
0: they stuck. Mm. They, they had smelled as well didn't they if i remember rightly um, yes yeah i mean I i said they did have that binder but it was so massive it wasn't like you could sort of Drag it around like you kind of stick a book. Look, becomes all dog-tailed by the end of the collection. You know, this binder was mm-hmm. huge and something that you can you know, just sort of sit on your side. I think I've still got one um, in my in my office or in the garage somewhere. Um, it wasn't the only binder as well. We're, we're kind of going back slightly here, Greg, but we also had Orbis around. And we talk about the 90s being flooded. You, not only do you have, as all well, the card collections, Panini, that early Merlin one, the Team 90, which I actually don't even remember, which was, it's so obscure. But Albis <laughs> also had that weird kind of collect it week by week magazine, but also a sticker collection as well. I mean, how does that fit into the story?
1: Well, again, like, pro set this is looked back on very fondly by by collectors in the in the early 90s it, it was, as you say it was a part work probably for about 20 weeks uh, a massive collection probably about 500 600 stickers and uh, once you if you manage to collect everything all, all the part works and the stickers it really is a great uh, a great a great way to look back not just on the 90 world cup but but all all the history as well but uh, probably the one of the most noteworthy aspects of the of the Orbis 1990 World Cup collection for me is the fact that uh, they they released Denmark stickers, assuming that they were going to qualify for the 1990 World Cup. So they, the, there's a, there's a, a whole section for Denmark. There's the stickers <laughs> in the packs, nice and then then they had to bring out a 25th team in Romania who'd actually picked Denmark to qualifying. <laughs> See, this is a, an interesting thing. I worked on a show last year.
2: Uh, for the Football Republic and we did a watch along for every game well loads of games in uh, Euro 2016 and we did a thing where we did a, a wall of shame and it was basically players that have gone into the sticker book but hadn't actually gone to the ah, tournament okay. i mean they're just they're just asking for trouble all the time aren't they sort of doing things like that assumptions and you don't know you know and we we had you know there was certainly a, you know at least 100 players that they had picked for their sticker collection that weren't actually at the tournament and that must be like a real danger when you're printing these things so far in in, in advance of of this stuff is that right
1: well you you can forgive them for not getting the the squad exactly right Although, although as it happened, the I think it was the Euro 2016 England squad that that didn't have a Tottenham player in it. Is that right? And they yeah and they ended up having about five, didn't yeah. they? So so to <laughs> not to not get even one of those that presumably they must have had Harry Kane, but but none of the others. So so to get to to not get any of those, it was quite a poor prediction. But at, at, at least I can I could give them getting the squads wrong to actually put in a team that didn't qualify. Is uh, is is taking it to another
0: level? <laughs> mm. i go, quickly going back to that Orbis though. It's quite amazing that they expected, and I did it, and all well, my mum and dad did it. That they expected not only kids to go and ask and get their parents to buy the the section by section uh, magazine that they still do now when you get the, like the Marvel ones, or whatever that they have on the telly. But then also buy the stickers as well. I mean, it's quite a cheeky um, way to make a lot of money. But a I'm, double I'm, whammy, double whammy. But when I was doing the Alive and Kicking book and I wanted to feature Orbis in our stickers section trying to find anyone who ever remotely worked at all bits is impossible like the copyright on it is gone so it clearly didn't work for them and have you found that orbit what happened to all greg well they,
1: they they then brought out a domestic collection in 1991 but uh that that, that didn't sell uh, anywhere near as, uh, as as well as the as the world cup album um and they they continue to do part works after that. They've they've now been um, they've now been bought out. Um, but apart from football, they they were they were a very successful company. But uh, I, I think it's just asking a lot. No, no, it's hard enough to collect 500, 600 stickers without a 20-week part work on, on top, as, as you say. Mm, although I
0: always remember the best part of their part work sections were the goals and the, the, I mean, the illustrations now look like they're done by a five-year-old, but at the time they seemed really new age to me who had ever created these illustrations of how these great goals were scored. You see them on Twitter every now and then, one of the Football Nostalgia Twitter feeds puts them on, they're not even realising they're from the Orbis collection, but I always remember John Salarco's goal actually stands out, the one he scored again for Palace against Nottingham Forest, where it was from like the halfway line if yeah. it was in a yeah. cup yeah. replay and then the big arrow that was on the illustration was so big that really that really sticks out to me. But
1: you said, that, that that was state of the art in uh, in yeah. those days. People Absol- don't people don't don't realise what we had to appreciate.
0: Yeah, there was no videos on Twitter. We had to just have this little <laughs> illustration of no faced people. On a, on a collectible edition of a, of a football sticker album. So, yeah, I was big... Again, that came in a big binder as well, a big blue one. I remember the domestic one had John Barnes on it as well, I think I, I remember. So there was, I mean, as you say, Greg, at the beginning, it was just so much around in these early 90s and not knowing what to collect for, for any collector. And then... I mean, the Premier League came in, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, changed everything forever as the 90s is the decade that changed football. And they swung along Merlin. I mean, Merlin were a big name in the sticker world anyway, weren't they? Um, but how did the deal to, to make what would become one of the biggest selling sticker albums of all time? How did that happen with Merlin and the Premier League?
1: Yeah, well, they, they're only uh, a big player in terms of wrestling. Uh, you're obviously uh, more of a wrestling expert than, than I am. I remember it's the only sticker book. The only sticker book I've ever filled. Is that the Undertaker world? WWF word?
2: superstars of 1990.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, it was actually, as, as well as the stickers, they, on, on, on the back of the album, it, it was the, the videos and the t-shirts and various other merchandise. That was really what, uh, what, what got Merlin off and, off and running because they were, they were in a lot of trouble at that point. Robert Maxwell had uh, blocked a lot of their lines of distribution most of their albums weren't, weren't really working out. They were trying Saved by the Bell, Baywatch, all sorts that, that oh, didn't... Greg, didn't you're hitting really, the 90
0: notes here perfectly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that didn't, didn't really work out. But as I say, it, it was it was wrestling. And and we, we, without that, they, they probably wouldn't have gone on to the success they had with the football. But it, it, it seems strange now to, to think that the first Premier League season, there was no... Official premier league sticker album there there was panini 90 football 93 but uh, that that wasn't officially endorsed panini, the, the premier league had a lot of uh, other more important things on their minds ahead of the the first season so as uh, as 92 93 was going on they that they, they did uh, Look for a, a company to do their to do their their, their collectibles the the sticker albums the cards etc and as luck would have it for for merlin one of the, the premier league bigwigs, david dean knew one of the merlin shareholders who was uh a lady called patricia kluge there um, you go that's all it is it's, it's who you know it's not what you know it is well and and she was a she's an interesting lady because uh, she she started her working career as a as a belly dancer then then she became a, <laughs> then she became a nude model wow um, she sounds who, who, wonderful. She does. She, she um, she 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 married a a publisher of a uh, a top shelf magazine in the UK, and and then then she ended up going to America and mar- marrying a, a billionaire. When she what a life Yeah, when when it's she did It's the career path. Belly dancing,
2: nude modelling. Do you think we could try this, Ash? That'll work.
0: I don't know if it works in reverse, Joe. I think if you got to start that way, haven't you? <laughs> no what to see uh, my belly dancing right now sorry go on greg
1: yeah but um thanks to uh thanks to marrying a millionaire and then divorcing a billionaire rather, and then divorcing a billionaire uh was was how she she came to get involved with with football cards and football stickers because she was um she had british roots her her son who was living with her in in america wanted some football cards not 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 us football soccer to uh, to the to the to the americans now rather than uh, buying some from a shop or or importing some she decided she was going to set up her own collectibles company um which she which she did with shooting stars they they didn't have a lot of success so she she decided to uh, become a major shareholder in uh, in merlin uh, and and help to prop them up and uh, it, it was her contact with david dean that uh, that then led to to merlin getting the premier league deal they obviously had to prove their worth, which they did and the rest was history. It's funny that the
0: WWF, as it was at the time, was their way in, isn't it? It's such a funny, sort of unique quirk uh, to Merlin's early success but I remember that album, I mean it changed my childhood in a in a way because that became the focus of everything and that everyone in the playground had this album um, You put up a tweet, didn't you, earlier this
1: week that the album was It Came Free With Shoot did it, Greg? Yes, yeah it's, it's, it's funny really because um, Match started to to give away the panini albums just as panini was um was 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 falling by the wayside really so so shoot really have always had the the big album of the time and uh, and yes they were they were the ones that gave away the early merlin albums
0: i mean joe you mentioned the stickers in the program these must have been the ones they were swapping because i think for everyone you know merlin they came along and they just swamped the whole business didn't they
2: that's what I remember. I was probably a little bit too old for it all by then. By about, you know, I think being eighteen, nineteen, and hanging around a schoolyard, it's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was right all right, then. Yeah, I mean, that was that, that. was the thing that I remember. It's just the, the sea change in it happening, you know, because I I grew up in the eighties and it was always panini, 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 panini. The little man with the la- with the big long lance, yeah, and all that business. And then all of a sudden, overnight, and I remember sort of getting quite. Uh, annoyed, going in. Who are these? You know, brand loyalists to Panini, as we were. So, hey, who the bloody hell's Merlin! What's all this about? What's all this about? But yeah, I, I, I mean, I was just going to say as well. What a blight on football, Robert Maxwell was yeah. <laughs> in, every, in every way, uh, trying to merge Reading and Oxford and 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 trying to scupper the Premier League and and then doing this with
1: Panini stickers. I mean, uh, were you involved a-
0: in Derby at some point as well?
2: Yes, yeah.
1: I yeah, think yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he really. was chairman of well. Derby. Mm times really I mean although, although people look back now at, uh, at, at the, w- what he did and you you've, you pointed out all, all the negatives but uh, Oxford's greatest period ever was uh, was was when he was chairman and and even Derby in the last since since they won the league in the 70s his era was was probably their most successful era again
0: mm-hmm Let's go back to this Merling album and then we'll quickly take a break with our guest. But, I mean, this how popular, how big did it become, this first one? So it was the one with the blue cover. It had Merson and Giggs um, from the Charity Shield, I believe, uh, picture that was from. But it, it became so big they had to reprint albums, didn't they, if I believe? It it really was the success of the 90s, this album, wasn't it, Greg?
1: Yeah, well, I think, um, as as Joel said, uh, similarly, I was also too old to to collect at that point. Um, I mean, now I was at university, and, and it wasn't the type. But probably people at university now, you, every everybody's collecting football stickers again in, in an ironic way. But uh, nobody was nobody was doing it then. But I did buy the book for for the reason that it was a great statistical record book. Even even more so than uh, than the, with the great Panini albums in the eighties. This had this had all ta- all types of stats that. Obviously, they're easily available on the internet now, but you couldn't get these readily in in those days. So, although I, I didn't actually collect, I I used it as a as, as a reference book. But uh, print, plenty of people at school did collect, and uh, very 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 quickly they were achieving sales figures the the type that uh, Panini were, were were getting in the eighties. Mm. the the things I mean
0: I think the best thing that Merlin did in those early albums as well is that you didn't just have the team stickers you had uh, a section on kits which you know as anyone who knows on this podcast I bloody love um, you had programs. One uh, one, at I think that was the first collection. You had, a pro, you had a sticker of the match day program from each of the team. And one of the weirdest things, because I think Sky Sports were just coming into their own at that point um, with, with the TV deal on the Premier League. They had a section in the first Merling album. I don't know if you remember this, Greg, and you've probably seen it, of all the stickers. And there was presenters on there like John Solarco, Joel, this is a name you remember. Anna Walker. Do you remember Anna Walker? Oh, yeah, I used to work with Anna. Oh, there you yeah. go. She was a sticker in the uh, original Merling album. Uh, there was Richard Keys in there, one of those amazingly bright-coloured jackets. Um, I think Anna Walker and John Slarko picture is it, like really proper 90s in their little shorts and things like that. So it was loads, of, I think those quotes just added to all those, like you say, Greg, the stats and stuff, and just uh, alongside all the team stickers and the, the squads and stuff. So it really was a comprehensive uh, album that the Merlin really went all out on for not just the 94, but then you had the 95 album, which was black. Was that the black one, I think? With,
1: a, with all those players who, who yeah. had. Who had in, in interesting seasons such as Andy Cole, moved who, halfway who moved, through, yeah, month when when the when the album was brought out. Eric, Eric Cantona obviously had his uh, his kung fu kick that 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 month when it came out as well. Alan Smith played his last game before retiring through injury that month. So. It, it was a bit of a poison chalice to be on the front cover mm. of the 95 album. jinx, mm. oh, isn't it? That's
2: yeah. like that, that, that,
1: That's a real football jinxer that's
2: up there. Not as bad as that guy who got the Andy Cole tattoo. Like oh, the, I love that story. The day yeah. that they sold yeah. him to, New- to he, Manchester United. Didn't he try and make it look like Les Ferdinand in the Yes, album? that was later on. He tried to get it changed to Les <laughs> Ferdinand, yeah.
0: Really good. I completed the, the first three I think the third one was red And I think I had Jamie Redknapp on the cover yeah. as well So those three albums are sitting on my shelf Completed, I'm quite proud of that um, One of the th- few things I achieved when I was kid We'll talk more about Merlin And a few of the other sort of We mentioned Pro Match already But a few of the other collections that were around in the 90s But first, let's go to today's interview He's somebody who would have been in that first Merlin sticker album And a few albums before that in the 90s A former goalkeeper Big in the 80s with Watford But for us, more of a Man City player in the 90s. 90s when player of the season for them in 91 and 92 and later for Man United and Sunderland he's former goalkeeper speaking to me earlier today on the live and In. here's Tony Coton
3: joining me on the line then uh, one of the big goalkeepers from the 90s one of the most expensive goalkeepers as well at the beginning of the decade former Man City, Man United and Sunderland Tony Coton welcome to the show thank you thank you for joining us now you've got a new book out We're, we've got it in front of me here tell us why you decided now was the time to, to be your autobiography.
4: Well, I, I didn't think there would ever be a time, to be honest, because I, I wasn't that keen on doing a book. But um, um, I was at a, I was at a wedding uh, many, many years ago. And uh, at that wedding, uh, Simon Mullock, who's the ghostwriter of the book, was attending. And some mutual friends, we all got together, and they started saying about doing a book. And I put it off and put it off. And then we were at another function... Um, not long ago, uh, and I gave in, basically, and I said, okay, I'll help Simon write his first book, this, that, and the other, and it snowballed from there, really.
3: Mm, It's called There To Be Shot At. I mean, is it a enjoyable process
4: to go looking back at your career once you get into it? Um, Yeah, I mean, you have to delve right back into the memory archives, you know, of uh, certain things, and that's where Simon was... Really uh, diligent in getting all his information. We rang um, obviously friends and family from yesteryear, and can you recall this? How did this happen? And blah blah blah. Just to clarify, it was exactly how I said it because you're going to do a book, you've got to tell the truth, and um, so I didn't want to get anything one little bit wrong. So um, um, yeah, so the process was probably taking a little bit longer than normal because of just clarifying everything over
3: again. Well let's talk about your career in the nineties, let's delve back into your memory as you said. Um that speak nineteen ninety, ninety one, you joined Manchester City and then was for a million pounds as well, a big record transfer. What brought you to Man City? Was there other clubs involved or was it always City that you're gonna to go to?
5: No, no, I I think when I was at um when I was at Watford there was a clause in there that um I could leave if anybody come in for a a um, million pounds and um, uh, as far as I I know there had been a couple of uh, other clubs uh, offered of near, near and around that but not quite to the million and then Man City come in and it was all systems go and I ended up here
3: in Manchester mm. At the time it was the most expensive goalkeeper in British football do those sort of things weigh on you as a million pounds did that, did that make a difference to you?
5: No, not really. I mean, you look at things like that, uh, it may do with some certain people. You know, you look today and you go straight away, a strike is bought for 50 million, 60 million, or whatever it is, and you go, oh, it's not worth that. That's up for other people to to make that call and that judgment. Um, you know, you've, you're worth what two clubs agree uh, you are, you know, what one wants and what one's willing to pay. Um, so going to Manchester for a million pound, uh, it may have um, played a part on the fans uh, at the start because I don't think they thought a million pound for for me should have been spent um, when they thought they had an able, um, you know, sort of goalkeeper at the time in Andy Dibble, and they thought the million pound should have been spent elsewhere. But um, as I say, after a few months, I I'll, I'll proved to be my worth. So.
3: Well, that's for people who listen to this who won't remember the City of, of that era compared to, to the, the juggernaut. Now, what, what sort of club was City at that time at the beginning of the 90s?
5: <laughs> uh, well, Let me tell you this. I was at um, Man City on um, on Sunday against Arsenal and um, um, it's two completely different uh, clubs altogether. The team are both, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, but in 1990, when I was there, it was... Um, it was a um, hard-working team. Great support, Man City. Always had great support, and those fans are getting their just rewards now for their loyalty. Um, but uh, in 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 my time when they was there, it was the under the Peter Swales era, and then uh, Francis Lee. Um, and it was a, it was a, every money was tight. And don't don't get me wrong. You know they never never flashed the money about like they do today, but. Um, it was a an hard working team and, and Peter Reed as the manager um when Howard left. So Howard left not long after me being there, Howard Kendall. Peter Reed taking over and then we finished fifth fifth and ninth. Um, you know, so we it was when the European ban on English clubs uh, was in force. Else we'd have been tasting European football, mm-hmm. you know. Um but it wasn't a B. Uh and then Peter uh, lost his job um against the wishes obviously of the players and um uh, uh, we thought he was doing a good job. Mm. Uh, you know, and then um and then um Brian Orton come in, uh and then that was the, the time when Francis Lee the forward with Fanny campaign, um, that I wasn't a big fan of to be fair, the way that they got rid of Peter Swales. But um, you know, and then um you know, I got an injury and um, and that was it really in in, in my six years there so uh, listen great club an honour to have played for Manchester City great support uh, and like I just said they're getting the, those loyal fans are getting their, their just rewards now because um, it's exciting times at Man City at the moment mm. You mentioned
3: sixes, you really were there when the, the change of, of football and the Premier League come in we were talking about the 90s being the decade that changed did you notice that as players that how in those six years you're at City, the, you know, the Sky money came in. Is it is something that was quite yeah, noticeable? Uh, yeah, without
5: doubt, because um, obviously the Premier League '92 and and Sky um, being involved and the money getting pumped in, There's adverts, uh, dancing girls on the pitches, fireworks <laughs> and all sorts. When we when we ran out the tunnel in those days, and I think I was in the, um, I think I played in the first Monday night. Game, of course. We'll like, keep out on my own team, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, still, still have nightmares of Andy Sinton's left-footed drive. It, it was a decent drive shot. <laughs> yeah, but we got, we didn't lose. We got a draw. So, um, but um, yeah, so um, you know, you could see it changing, and you could. I didn't realise how big it was going to be. I've got to admit, but um, you know, it was um, at the time we 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 thought it was a little bit not gimmicky, but um, it's a little bit of the American style of the way they put uh, Mm. games and shows on. And and we thought, well, it's going that way. But it's got its own identity now and it's massive, isn't it? All over the world, you know. But um, yeah, we could certainly see the change without doubt. Mm. Of course, what people might not
3: remember so much is is you actually moved to Manchester United in that decade as well. And how did that come about? Did
5: you have any sort of doubts moving across the city? Um, well, first and foremost, I didn't want to leave City. Um, mm. But, uh, but as I said, Francis Lee had taken over. Alan Ball was the manager, um, and I think Alan Ball really was—he—he uh, he was being told what to do. He got to trim the senior players out of the out of the team. So I'm led to believe that that was his remit. Um, and as I say, I'd come, I'd got a nasty injury um, prior to Alan Ball coming in and at the end of the Brian uh, Orton era. Um, So I'd worked all through the summer to get fit, got into the pre-season, wasn't involved. It was made clear that now, I wasn't even training with the first team, so it was made clear that they were trying to force me out. I'd been a good servant, a few Player of the Year awards and captain and this, that, that and the other. But it it was clear to me that Francis Lee wanted me out uh, of the club and I was quickly followed by senior senior members of the squad as well. Um, so um, I'm moving out, so I'm driving over Barton Bridge, if you know Manchester mm-hmm. at all, and, um, and uh, I got a phone call from the manager's secretary at Man City, saying, we've accepted a bid from Man United, you are free to go and speak to them? So I eventually get home, and I said to my wife, I said, I've had a strange phone call, I, I said, <laughs> Man United are coming for me and I'm free to speak to them. And um, I went down to got quickly got changed, went down to Old Trafford and sat with Martin Edwards and um then I met Sir Alex Ferguson and um that was how quick it how quick it happened and um, you know the the fact is that there was only Sunderland really that shown an interest Chris Peter Reid had been my manager and he was now the manager of Sunderland. Um, But he he didn't have the the funds available to buy me in January. Um, He said, I'll come for you in the summer. Anyway, um, it was only Man United really that uh, was interested. So Alex Ferguson told me the role that he wanted me to play. And um, that was it. I found myself a a Man United um, player, much to the annoyance of the Man City fans. Hmm. was there a backlash for you then even you know because at the time as well it was a record fee I still get it I still get it now. Um, um, as I say I was at the game on Sunday Man City and Arsenal and I signed a few autographs and um, as I walked away my brother-in-law was chuckling to himself and I said what are you laughing at he said oh I said those two older gentlemen there that just asked for your autograph I said what he said as you were signing other autographs Um, they walked away I've never forgiven that such and such I won't say it on uh, on the podcast uh, for going over the road to the Reds Um, so it still wrangles with some people now Um, you know but I got a lot of um, I got a lot of messages um, uh, I would probably say it was 60-40 and saying why have I gone and what have I done Um, you know why, why there and this that and the other and then the other thought, he said, well, um, Man City's loss, uh, Man United's game, wishing you all the best, thanks for your service to, to Man City. So, uh, it wasn't as bad as uh, as it could have been, I would have thought. Mm.
3: You mentioned Sunderland, you did finish your career there, and Sunderland with the, with the leg breakers as, as well, ended your career. How did you enjoy your time before that unfortunate
5: end uh, at Sunderland? Um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was over too briefly, you know, because I'd gone up there, uh, and true, true to form, Peter had come back in for me in the summer, um, and I joined Man, Man United in 96 on, from the January, and I'd always said to Alex Fuchs, if I don't play, you know, I want to end my career playing, and he said, well, look, we'll revisit it, um, uh, in the summer. Um, and true to his word, he said, "Look, I understand you want to keep playing. Blah blah blah. I've got a replacement lined up for you. Um, these are the clubs that have come in for you. I went. I thought better the devil I know, and I went and joined Sunderland and Peter Reid as um, player coach. Um, and then, unfortunately, ten games in, I I shattered my right leg with five fractures. So, um, you know, that that playing career was over. I then went on to the coaching career and." Um, um you know that was um that was enjoyable. I took the reserves, we won the league and uh that was it mm. so um and then unfortunately, we had a contractual dispute and uh, ended up in court and um uh, that was that was my end of my career at right. so. Mm. We always ask players of this uh, who are of that era who for
3: you was the the best player that you played against in the nineties and and the best you played with
5: um I would probably say that um, Kenny Davis was the best that I played against, mm. and um, the best I played with would be uh, in the 90s. I nearly slipped up there because I nearly said John Barnes, but um, you know, that was pretty. he was in the 80s, I was with John <laughs> Barnes. Um, so in the 90s, would be. I can't really. Listen, There's a there's a handful of names that spring straight to you know, say to the front, really, if I'm saying Man United when I was there, um, but I didn't really play in the first team. Mm -hmm. I played in a few reserve games with with the Beckhams and the Scholeses and people like that, but I don't think that really qualifies me to say um, which one, um, because if I did, I'd say Paul Scholes straight away. Yeah. Um, But if you're talking about a first team, um, first team, so really, um, my Man City days you're talking about, I guess. Uh, in the nineties, ninety to ninety six. Um, I would probably say I didn't really play with King Cladzer either. Um uh, well a, a, a really good favourite of mine, um not because he's a top man was Nile Yeah. Very underrated very underrated centre forward. Mm, no, very now. Yeah. I, I thought, thought I, you might I'll, do that, I'll, do I'll you. say 20.
3: Yeah, I'll twenty. And and at the moment you're at Villa, I believe, that coaching there these days.
5: No, I'm not coaching. I'm head of, um, head of the recruitment. Oh, I see. Yeah, my me, me, me coaching days are gone. They finished when I was at Man United because my knee's that bad. So um, I'm, uh, I'm head of the recruitment,
3: yeah. OK,
5: brilliant. Well, thank you very
3: much for talking to us, Tony. Good luck with the book. Thanks, Ash. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye.
5: Bye.
0: Good stuff there from Tony Coton. Nice of him to mention Andy Sinton's goal as well. I didn't mean to, to offend him with that. It was, he would never have saved that. It was a fantastic strike on that first Monday night football. Um, again, Andy Sinton was older in that 1st round and We're talking about Merlin. I mean, they really were, Greg, as we were saying before the interview, dominated that for the next few years. I mean, there were a couple of little quirks. He... You mentioned to me before about the Julian Dix thing, where he missed uh, the cut off of the transfer. Then we got the Andy Cole thing as well. So they weren't without their sort of four balls. But again, as we mentioned earlier, it's the deadlines and stuff, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I, well, probably the the one that stands out to me is the is the Barnsley team group in the Premier League ninety eight album when they used the Barnsley youth team to to start. Oh, that's the, good. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Issue
0: that's there's something someone's got sent the wrong photo there I hope someone got fired for that especially Barnsley I mean come on that was one of their first you know the only season they had in the Premier League they wanted to go all exactly. out on that
1: Okay. At, at, at least they they did bring out a, a replacement sticker, which Panini didn't always do in the eighties. Mm.
0: The weird thing about Merlin, so they ov- they obviously got this now sticker thing dominated, and they had these really successful albums, but they didn't stop there, did they? Again, they went back to the card collections as well to to try and sort of jump on the bandwagon of their success in the sticker market. And there's quite a few collections they had there. Remember the Premier Gold collection was it from merlin and then they did this weird character set which may have been to try and combat pro match but it was one of the worst character sets i've ever seen wasn't it greg
1: yeah i th- i think they they're under obligation to to bring out uh, card sets so th- so you got you had the rights to the stickers then you had the rights to the cards and then there was also a, a trading card game rights which uh, which which you would bid for so so Merlin had the rights to all, all of those at, at, at the outset. Uh, I, I believe Sabutio must have had the, the trading game card rights at, at some point because they all they, there was official branding on on those in, in the mid nineties. Uh, but in, in 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 terms of popularity, it was all about the the, the stickers in the nineties to to such an extent that. Uh, merlin were or tops as they as they became in the in the 2000s when they were bought out they they, they gave up the trading card game rights uh, in in the following decade uh then then this this other company shootout um yeah. then they 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 did the cards for for, for the shootout cards and then and then everybody found out that actually it was the, the trading card game was going to be the most popular. But uh, nobody could have predicted that in the '90s, certainly. Mm.
0: Joe, you mentioned the pro match ones earlier. I mean, they're some of my favourite card collections because their character chores were absolutely brilliant. Anyone, I'll put, I'll put it on Twitter. But if you if you listen to this as we speak, Google Ray Parler Pro Match is one of the best character show cards you'll ever see. But yeah, do you remember that? So you you have memories of that collection, Joe?
1: Yeah,
2: I think I I think I must have had some for players like stuck because I'd have been about 20 by then and What's I must have had that? them stuck, stuck to I must have had them stuck to my mirror I do remember having Gareth Southgate for some reason and that was when he wasn't affiliated with us um but yeah they, they were they were almost like a throwback to the 1920s and sort of cigarette cards and all that because that's how they they originally were weren't they? they were sort of uh really nicely but very oldy worldy drawn versions and they almost seemed like an update of that concept really rather than a sort of out and out uh, mocking caricature it was just like quite serious cartoon drawings but no I, i do remember having a few of them stuck to stuck to the wall and stuck to the mirror and stuff like that in the house you know, I've fixed with a bit of blue tack Yeah,
0: be no surprise that I had loads of them. I think there were two sets in the end—a uh, green one and a purple one. I think the purple one comes slightly later in 1998. The first one in 96. I remember Woolworths always stocking them. There's a blast from the past. Woolworths. It's a Woolworths thing. It's a Woolworths thing. But I remember just going to them. I can remember being in Elton, which for them in South East London people will know. I didn't even really go there that much, but buying a load of. I may even bought a box, which is very bizarre for me. But I really got in to, to the pro match cards. I really enjoyed them. They they did our um, annuals as well. Um, friend of the show, Kareem Collector on Twitter. He has got uh, a couple of those that he always puts on Twitter, the uh, annuals of all the illustrations. Really interesting, really different type of of set. Um, For me, Greg, though, I always think that 1998 seemed to be the the sort of year where there was apps, it just kind of went mental in the collectible game. Um, Not only did you have two different albums because you had the official World Cup one, you had the from. Panini, um, Then you had the England one from Merlin. Uh, there was a BP collectible thing. There was a thing on tea banks There were photo cards. Do you think that's when we went a bit mad in in terms of, of collecting in, in, in that sort of era?
4: I
1: think I think every era has had the, has had their, their their periods where everybody seemed to to want to bring out a, a collection. Um, as as you said, with, with Merlin having the, the rights to the England team by by ninety eight, it, it meant inevitably that there would be two if not three uh sticker albums out whereas previously for the for the for the world cups it was it was always just a panini album so so merlin also brought out a a general uh france 98 album on on top of the england one so that so that that meant three sticker collections alone and then obviously with with, with england uh now having moved to to merlin in, in terms of the 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 branding etc it also tarnished the uh, the France 98 Panini album, not, not to mention the uh, the Iran debacle, where they failed to get the, the license in early enough to, to put the stickers in the, in the packets. Just
2: deadlines, eh? That's good. I mean, that's yeah. just a fix, isn't it, that? <laughs> so the pages, hold on, the pages for Iran were in the book, but the stickers weren't in the stickers. Have they, I read that
1: right? They, they they didn't get the uh, the licensing from the Ara- Iranian Football Association in time, so that that meant none of their stickers went in the packets. So if you wanted to get the, the stickers for the Iran players, you had to send off directly to Panini, or I, I think the Sun in the UK uh, did off- offered them as a promotion as well. But uh, but you were never going to get any of them in in the packets.
2: That's a bit much, isn't it? The sun-pushing Iranian stickers to get their thing. With it. <laughs> Sounds like Don Revy should
0: be involved. Sorry, keeping it 70s. Oh, yeah, he'll,
2: be, he'll go out there.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned these licenses. That results in one of my little pet hates. It's like templates on a kit. Is that when then you see in some albums the pictures of the team and then they're just kind of photoshopped with like a white background and, and no kit, you just see the face. Is that, what, is that a failure in licenses, Greg?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a failure or, or it's a case of they're they're reconciled to the fact that that they they haven't got the license for that particular national team or that particular club but they're still going to bring out an album mm. anyway and and it, it looks dreadful it does. But at least for the panini album it only looked dreadful for the england team yeah whereas <laughs> Merlin, Merlin's alternative they, they had the rights to the england team but they had didn't have the rights for any other team. So every other team was just a head on a blanket. Yeah. And, and they did that for several other albums, Euros and World Cups after that. And it's no surprise that they didn't sell very well. They, they even did it. They did it up to the, the 2014 World Cup because they still had the England rights at that point. But Merlin uh, Merlin sold... Uh, one sticker for every every nine of Panini during the the 2014 World Cup, and there's a reason for that.
0: Yeah, I'm with that. I'm I'm penic- like that. I need the branding. I need everything. It just doesn't look like an official sticker album. Anyway, I always remember bizarrely going back slightly the Euro '92 album. I remember that maybe because that tournament's so unmemorable in itself. The one thing I remember most is collecting Euro '92 Panini stickers. And I think everyone had their own. I think the licenses were perfect at that point, if I remember. Everyone was in their kits and stuff. And again, there were some strange England players that didn't make the squad, but. That that's a collection or a member, uh, as well um, but lastly I want to mention this international one is Upper Deck we haven't, we haven't mentioned who did the World Cup cards in 94 this was a really interesting collection because um, not only did they do the standard cards of the you know the, each player and they had these weird sort of what they do in their daytime and you had david platt with a surfboard which was ironic because england didn't even make that world <laughs> cup and then the the famous card which i talked about a lot and we spoke with alexi himself alexi lalas in full rocking gear i mean as a collection it was very american wasn't it greg and it was very different at that time the upper deck collection
1: yeah it was it was a it was a good set of cards very very well produced it was never going to be popular over, over here because uh, england didn't didn't qualify for the world cup and Con- consequently you also won't find that many people who uh, who collected the uh, the Panini 94 album for that that same re- same reason and and that's always going to going to be key in terms of a, a successful album o- over here it didn't to to not have any british involvement at all it's just is, is going inevitably going to put a, a dent on it i th- i think upper deck did bring out a series of world cup cards in in 93 that, that did have england in it but uh, you can't fool anyone england didn't qualify <laughs>
0: know the cool quirk about one of those cards they had georgie campos uh one, he had one of the big names of the 90s the mexican goalkeeper with all his favorite his kits that he designed and stuff but his card was him because he, he often played up front which is hilarious so his card had two different cards one of him as a striker and one of him as a goalkeeper i always remember that i've got them somewhere <laughs> in buried in my collectible box and stuff um what sort of uh joe just going to you do you remember the international collections Do you have a fond memory of any of the international collections from that era?
2: what i really want to know and and i think we'd They'll be very interested in this. Is um, when are they going to bring out a best of the '90s sticker collection for us now? If the older people are ah. such the target market, where's the retro sticker book?
1: What a great idea! Why isn't that coming? There, there, there were complaints because it was it was 25 years of uh, the Premier League, obviously mm. last uh, season. So the so the the, the Merlin album was uh, was a celebration of that, but they only gave away i think just just a couple of pages dedicated to uh, to 25 years of the premier league and uh, they, but they missed a, a trick on
2: in, in that it's ridiculous that one. i mean ash has got nearly 55 hours of podcast now <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's very true yes they should do that a retro sticker album and a retro version of championship manager that's what i want from life i'd, I'd be quite happy with those two things nostalgia wise in my life, um, we'll I will just think, get
2: Greg to go and pitch him because he seems to be able to yeah, successfully yeah, exactly, pitch yeah. everything else. So he can go and do it. He, yeah, he Greg, That's just your clean awesome clean next project. That's that's
1: what you got to okay. get going. I'm on it. I'm on it. You're on it.
0: Time. Well, I think we mean we've gone through pretty much everything, and you know the collectible market. There, I mean, Greg. Is there anything else we haven't mentioned that you wanted a quick shout out to um, of the 90s that you know we haven't covered yet?
1: Well, I think by the by the time we got to the the late 90s. A lot of the the clubs were bringing out their own card sets with uh, few, few Terra. Oh, yes,
0: yeah. And, I never really collected these.
1: Uh, no, well, if, if if there wasn't a QPR set, definitely. then you probably done. I suppose there wasn't. But, Greg, so, there definitely wasn't. No, but um, but it, they didn't catch on. I mean, it, I think even even if your 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 club is not involved in it, there's there's nothing like collecting a whole yeah. division of uh of, of stickers because you, you you end up learning things and, and everybody collects together whereas if it's just a set of manchester united or arsenal cars then you're not going to get to, you're not going to get the whole playground uh, involved in that and, and consequently that that just didn't work so it, it was an it was an interesting time at the end of the uh, at the end end of the decade stickers were were still king at that point but uh, from from that point it's been very much cards all all the way
0: joe anything else we haven't mentioned you wanted to to mention about stickers and collectibles in the 90s
2: uh you know what i'm all right i'm not the expert on this as i said you know but i'm just I, i am just quite interested in this thing there is one question i have to ask go for it and just this might be a really really stupid question but there are some stickers that sort of don't get printed as much as others aren't
0: Greg, you're the man. Just to
2: really make you go and buy and buy and buy and buy. And buy. They're not distributed on an equal foot in other.
1: Well, I obviously had to cover this in in my book and and ask people who worked for or and still work for Panini and Merlin, and that they say that uh, that they are still like they are all uh, produced equally. And I, I think a point that that you made earlier about the the Middlesbrough badge being very rare, where you uh, where you were living. The the reason for that is because no Middlesbrough fan would put the Middlesbrough badge into their swaps piles. They would they would stick it onto their 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 school folders or or, or their bed or whatever. And, yeah, and that's the true. The same would, would be the case for why there were why it was hard to get Manchester United stickers in the 90s or Liverpool in the 80s? There were so many people who supported those clubs that they weren't willing to give their their doubles up up to anybody, or if they did, they were going to drive a hard bargain. So so they are all all printed equally but you just don't see certain cards go back into the into the swaps piles yeah that's see now that makes sense that's to me I understand this now
0: yeah although I, was, I still think Mark Crossley in the 92 90 or 94 collection was printed more times than any other because he was the sticker I remember I used to get Mark Crossley all the bloody time um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but
1: you know Stuart, Stuart is also a, a legend if you look at his Wikipedia <laughs> profile that is that is dedicated to, to him being the most prolific sticker in I think it would have been 94 or 95 yeah
0: well it's good that Stuart Nevercott's got some claim to fame anyway but Mark Crossley was mine but go back into the archive and listen to our interview with Mark Crossley because it's Brilliant. Um, So thank you guys. It was nice looking back into the the sticker collection of the 1990s. A little sneak peek of what will come in this documentary next Tuesday evening after the England-Brazil game. So a good night of football there. Well, I don't know, the second part will be. Uh, So it's 10.15 ITV4. Um, But if people want to ask you anything about stickers or get involved, where can they find you on the social network, Greg?
1: It's uh, on Twitter. It's at Panini underscore book. I'm I'm often uh, I'm often hovering about there, willing to uh, willing to chat cards and stickers uh, all, all all day if there was someone willing to do it.
0: And there's, the books available at all but good and bad bookstores ahead of Christmas as well.
1: Yes, you can get that on on Amazon,
0: stuck on new, uh, pitch publishers. Brilliant. And Joel, people want to chat to you about anything else, even stickers,
2: even even though you've they can haven't talk to it? me about anything. They can talk to me about anything <laughs> they want. It's all right. Uh, at Joel Baby Herc See, uh, it's just but we say this every time, but it's just football, wrestling, the cat, pop music, and this week my drunken escapades after I finished the show, so that was good,
0: yeah. And lots of pictures from when you were at WWE live events over the years,
2: oh, yeah, lots of that, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did post one the other day of me looking scared underneath the Suplex City poster, yeah. <laughs> Good
0: stuff. Well, thank you very much, guys, and thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening. Make sure you go and watch the documentary next Tuesday. I'm sure it'll be a great treat to watch. We'll be back soon with another delve into the 90s. I've been Ash Rose. Until next time, keep it 90s.